The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod. And today is possibly, well, not possibly, it is my favourite time of our regular seasons. It's my favourite episode to do. But this season, I think it's probably the most frustrating and difficult we've had yet. It's our end of season chart countdown effort thingamy bob, where we rank all the stories we have looked at in our third season of the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai, and joining me as always is my partner in time, the always awesome Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, sir? My brain's fried, mate, trying to put this together. This is the um and ah special because we'll just be looking at this. We're happy with one or two selections that we've made, but the quality of episode and serials that we've had this season has been so high. Mm. It's been damn near impossible to uh, to rank them apart from a couple. That yes. People who people have listened to the entire series, uh, my bottom two will come as no surprise. Mine might. If you've put Christmas Carol anywhere other than 14th, I, I, I will tweet my displeasure. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, we've also had a few people on Twitter putting forward their uh, top three, bottom three of our, our stories that we've covered, Dan, and somebody actually sent us a whole list of 14 as well, so we can get to those later on in the episode. That's always interesting hearing back from the listeners. Yeah, brilliant. Looking forward to getting into those. It's um, yeah, I, I remember the I've seen the uh, the list of fourteen, and I was shocked and intrigued, mm. shall we say, in equal measure. But I mean, this is the thing with what we've covered this season. That fourteen store, the fourteen stories we've covered this season for the show. I mean, I was talking to my wife Sharon I, literally just before I came upstairs to set up to record, and I said that the bottom few are locked in for me. Mm. I'm fairly certain my top two are locked in, or top three are locked in, but what order is still up in the air, even though we've pressed the red button and we're already recording. I've got written down what what I'm going with. I'm not going to change it now, (laughs) but if you ask me again in an hour, it could be different. Everything else is so interchangeable. I mean, the the story that sat in 10th on my list was fourth yesterday. Yeah. And the story that's third or second or whatever on my list was actually like mid table yesterday it's it's not even like moving one or two places it's so interchangeable because the standard has been so high yeah i had my relegation candidates locked in if we'll you know do what we sometimes do and refer to it as like a, a football league table my relegation candidates stonewall absolutely locked in then everything from 12 up to six could have been and have been completely interchangeable mm. and then my top five were pretty pretty much locked in but again completely interchangeable and i'm looking at it now and i'm i still don't know if i'm happy with my top two but okay i've obviously i've got my logic behind it um that i'm gonna have to go with now because we're committing it to audio well this is it this is it we're gonna i I think we need to say it now okay we've been recording for just over five minutes what we've got in front of us now are we both locking in and going with we're not going to change anything during the show 
Hang on, let me just <laughs> <laughs> No, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's lock it right. in and then I don't have to think about it and talk to myself anymore. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I just want to sort of um preempt this whole thing with a lot of these. It's not a case of we said it in previous episodes when we did the chart show countdown at the end of the series. Just because we put a certain story low on our list doesn't mean it's shit or we don't like it, apart from <laughs> Christmas Carol. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Vampires of Venice. It just means there are other stories that we've seen that we personally prefer. And again, we've seen so much good this season, it was so difficult to pick. It does make me think in future seasons we're going to have a series where we've just got 14 episodes that are so shit we can't decide what to put top. <laughs> yeah. it, it's going to happen because, as, as we said to uh, uh, to Beth when we covered uh, Spyfall, um, you know, I cracked a joke about Love and Monsters, the Peter K episode of the, when Tennant was involved. Yes. We're going to have to cover that at some point, and that is, for my money, possibly the worst episode of Doctor Who. Mm. Is that worse than a Christmas Carol? Well, that's why I said possibly. Right, I get you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okie doke then. Let's begin. We'll start, as we have done on our previous countdown shows, at the very bottom, at number 14. And we will see, obviously, again, I just want to you know, preempt to all of this. Neither of us have seen the others list, so we don't yeah. know what we've got. Uh, the only clues we have are what we're both, I imagine, going to put forward as our first selection in the 14th spot. Dan, are you going to surprise me, or is it the obvious? <laughs> it's Christmas Carol, the, uh, the Christmas special that we covered, that we had in January. Uh, pretty on brand. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're that professional. <laughs> it's... Well, in all seriousness, life gets in the way and we have the best of intentions. So at least it's not like uh, on UTT where we intended to do this giant um, like year anniversary extravaganza and have our first 11 guests on and do a, a match per guest of New Blood Rising. We got three in and realised it was going to be 17 hours and sacked it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a couple of lost episodes, a lost recording, shall we say, that... That, that may see the light of day at some point. Bonus content, mate. Bonus content. Yeah, uh, but as you can tell, the Christmas Carol is that bad that I'm doing. I'm plugging my own uh, podcast to avoid talking about it. Um, it's nonsensical storyline. It's complete horseshit. You get a decent performance out of Gambon, but his character's not particularly well written, mm. and it's just wank. Yeah, fourteen for me will come as no surprise. It's exactly the same. Uh, flying fish? What a load of bollocks. Yeah, a, a shark-drawn carriage that flies off into the sky as a as a woman grins to her death. Mm, it's not good at all. Not good at all. Um, very quickly, just so you're aware, Charlie had a little look at this list as well. The, you got told off. <laughs> I did get told off because I had... Charlie's only seen New Who, and we're not all, we're not all the way through it, so there's New Who episodes on this list that Charlie hasn't seen yet. But the ones that she has seen, she decided she was going to rank for us. Okay. So <laughs> out of the five stories that Charlie has seen, she places a Christmas Carol bottom. So smart she's kid. with us. She's with us. So <laughs> smart, smart kid. She obviously takes after her mother. <laughs> exactly. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. But she did tell me off for having a couple of these so low on my list. But there we go. I don't think that would be a surprise to anybody that we've both got Christmas Carol at the bottom done. No, no, it was utter crap. And I'm just going to jump in because my 13th won't surprise anybody either because it's Vampires of Venice, a story that I've tried multiple times to watch. And I enjoyed talking about it with you, but 
it doesn't get any better. Fish vampires trying to take over the world for reasons. A, a, a fish prince with an Oedipus complex. Um, and, and Rory just being a bit of a tool. Yes, indeed. Uh, I mean, Rory is just a pain in the ass. Everyone knows my opinions on Rory. You know, um, it, it's, it just, he ruined episodes for me, mate. He ruined episodes for me. Completely trashed certain stories. Uh, this is where our list deviates for the very first time, though. It didn't take long. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. Because my number 13 is actually the William Hartnell tale, The Edge of Destruction. I did wonder if you were going to go that way. And... The way I the way I separated a lot of these stories is very similar to the way I've done it in previous countdown shows on the show, in that if I can't decide between a couple of places, I just imagine myself sat at home with a couple of hours spare and what would I want to watch to fill those couple of hours? What mm. would I go to first? And Edge of Destruction would be very, very low on my rewatch list. It's just it's it's kind of just so silly. Ian is an absolute knobhead in it. <laughs> Susan's Susan's a crazy annoying psycho in it. It's just and the whole thing gets fixed because oh look there's a switch here we need to flick. It's just bollocks. So yeah, the edge of destruction for me is is my 13th but yeah, I, I think I was a lot more optimistic about that than you were uh, when we when we watched it because I could see what it was going for and there was a really good core concept in there and, and yeah. you could really tell that it was it was hampered by time and budgetary issues because it was basically built uh, written quickly as filler mm-hmm. um so i think if they'd have had more time um it would have been better so while i was a bit more generous to it than you it's actually my number 12 <laughs> ah there we go then <laughs> so yeah, I, was, I was slowly segueing into that yeah there you um go. because yeah again I, was, I sort of sat down looked at it and i was like is it better than this one? Is it better than that one? Is it better than this one? I actually, at one point, I had War Games in 12th. Really? Yeah, I did. Because I was thinking, it's just so bloody long. Mm. And it's all just, you know, well, I'll, I'll come to it when I'm when I'm talking about it later on. But, you know, in the episode we recorded about it, it was all, it was just kidnap, escape, kidnap, escape, capture, escape. Um but I realised that I couldn't in good conscience put Edge of Destruction any higher. Yeah. That's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. Uh, it's just a literally switching of places between you and I, because my number 12 is Vampires of Venice. We've done this quite a lot. Mm. We have. We have. Uh, Vampires of Venice. Uh, I rem- When it aired, I think I said on the show when we recorded about it, when it aired, I thought it was all right. It wasn't anything special. It was a bit whatever. And I think sometimes when the new episodes are, I get caught up in the excitement of a new episode of Doctor Who is on because I've had to wait seven days or sometimes longer or whatever. Yeah. But it's one that I've never really gone back and watched again. And I think the nostalgia factor or maybe the initial excitement for a new episode made it seem a little bit better in my head before we went back and watched it. Mm. Whereas you said you tried it four or five times and it sucked every time. Yeah. I think I was expecting it to be a million times worse than it was because of how much you hated it. Right. So in future, I need to keep my gob shut about something I hate. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying it, it, was, it, it wasn't very good. Don't get me wrong. But I was expecting it to be atrocious. 
I mean, don't get you, you didn't steer me wrong with a Christmas Carol. That was shit. You were one hundred percent correct on that. <laughs> <laughs> but Vampires of Venice, again, it's at the bottom end of my list, and this is where uh, th- these are the places. The bottom three, you know, Venice, Edge of Destruction, Christmas Carol. They were always locked into those positions for me. Yeah, Edge of Destruction got locked in. It, it, it was my bottom two were locked from the get-go. As soon as I knew what we were watching, I knew they were going to be the bottom. Um, Edge of Destruction bounced around. I think I got it as high as eighth at one point. Okay, interesting. But this is the thing: it's like I said, everything from twelve to six at some point has been interchangeable in my list mm. for various different reasons, but. Yeah, it, Edge of Destruction unfortunately loses out. Um, my 11th one, at my number 11, might surprise you here. And again, it's because this block now of, of 11 to 6, right? I could put in any different order. Like we said before, it's it's, it's got to go somewhere. And it became a bit like your logic. It was like, which would I go back to first? Mm-hmm. Um and I've had to go with Curse of Fenric. Really? Okay. Yeah, because this this is the point where I was I was torn between this and my number ten, and my number ten got there because of certain events that happen in it, and and it ultimately being a more important story in the sort of grander scheme of. Of Doctor Who, right. as a whole, uh, but yeah, Curse of Fenric gets number eleven. Um, I, I did quite like the Heme of Oz and sort of the nature of evil, just as a whole. Um, but I realised as well that I couldn't really remember much about it. Now I don't know if it's, if that's just because it's you know it's because of length of time because that was the first story we looked at, mm. and I remember actually enjoying the show. You know, when we watched it and talked about it. But yeah, it, it, it has to go somewhere, and unfortunately, it slots in at number 11 for me. Right, okay, interesting. We are going to be quite different on some of these, I feel. Ah, my number 11 is The End of the World. Yeah, it it nearly it was nearly End of the World for me as well. Okay. <laughs> but like I say, the, the chops around so much, but... Yeah, The End yeah. of the World for me, Eccleston was brilliant as a Doctor, but this was not one of the strongest stories in that short run he did. Mm. I would put this, if I was doing a countdown of Eccleston's stories, never mind our countdown, it would place quite low on that list. So by that selection process, I guess it goes quite low on this list. And again, I would rather watch it above the two Matt Smith stories, sorry, Mr. Mm. Smith, and Edge of Destruction. So that's kind of where it slots in for me, number 11. It would just... It was almost, I know it sounds so daft because every episode is an alien traveling around through time and space in a little blue box and all that sort of stuff. And you get nonsense aliens and bad guys. And it's all Doctor Who is a bit silly by nature. But this was just a little bit too silly at times. I mean, I liked the serious touches with the tree person and, and all that sort of goings on. And But it, it was just a, almost, it almost felt a little bit too much aimed at kids for me. Hmm. I can understand that. Um and when when you see where End of the World finally landed on my list, um I'm just gonna say it now, I think I let nostalgia get the better of me. Okay. 
and I'll I'll explain that when I get to it. Um, but yeah, I can completely see how End of the World uh, ended up down there. It's it isn't one of Eccleston's sort of finest hours, I suppose. But I'll uh, I'll expand more on uh, on my thoughts when I come to it. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it I think it did its job mm. because I look at uh, lots of Doctor Who fans in that time, your younger fans. It hooked them in, mm. and I look at the watch back of Charlie. The first episode, she meets the Doctor, she meets Rose, and it's modern day. The next episode, I, being the end of the world, I was worried about because it is out in space, there's little blue men. And I thought, okay, she's not a sci-fi fan, this is where I might lose her. But she wanted to see more, so it mm-hmm. must have done its job from that aspect. But for me personally, I'd rather go back and watch plenty of others. Yeah, that's, and that's absolutely fair enough. We're going to get that, though, with the differences in... Um, well, with anybody really, you know, that it, with the differences of how we both came and how and when we both came to watch Doctor Who, mm. there's going to be a natural inclination uh, towards certain things, which is why these ranking episodes get so interesting. Yeah, because we are, we are quite similar in a lot of ways, but then when you get to the nitty gritty of the thought processes, is yeah, we sort of look at each other and think, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> number ten, my friend. Number ten. What have you got? Uh, to quote William Regal, "War Games." Okay. And a bit of the it's so bloody long logic right, yeah. <laughs> comes in because if we are applying that thing that we both tend to do of what will I rush back and watch, you can't really rush back and watch war games. No, there's no rushing at all. Well, I, there's a lot of rushing about on screen, but there's no rushing to get back and watch that because it takes pretty much half a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I'm still watching it to cover on the podcast. Um <laughs> It's a, it's an important story, and it's a very clever story conceptually. Um, I love the sort of the clash of the time zones uh, and the evil alien overlords and the, the warlord and the war chief, uh, all of that, and the, even the mind control and, and bits and pieces like that, and the fact that Patrick Troughton's son was there in the background, you know, as a side character. That's all great, but... It does take so bloody long. Mm. And then a lot of the story in between all these set pieces and the Doctor finally getting to, you know, the the, the alien base and, and all the rest of it is just, we're going here, oh, we've been captured. Oh, we've been taken here. Oh, we've, we've escaped or been rescued. Oh, we've been captured. These people have been captured, so these people need to rescue them. Oh, they've swapped places. Mm. And it... You say there's a lot of rushing about. I liken it more to a car spinning its wheels stuck in mud. There's a lot of a lot of activity without actually getting anywhere. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I see that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of TV time that they try and fill, isn't there? Yeah, and actually, a better analogy is, you know the old Scooby-Doo trope where the Scooby gang are chasing the, the quote-unquote ghost, mm. and there's, there's like three or four doors down either side of a corridor? Yes. And it ends up being a few people chasing them one way and then out of another door chasing the other way and it just like chops and changes. <laughs> uh, That's yeah. what a lot of it felt like. But then it's got the regeneration at the end, the forced regeneration, which comes back into it, in, in especially in what we've watched, you know, like watching Power of the Doctor, you know, so it's, it lays seeds for, for future who and is quite an important story, but I, just, I, can't, I can't rank it any higher than, than 10th. No, fair enough. Uh, my views on the war games, I will put forward a little bit more when we get to it on my list i think because my number 10 is not the war games it is the mark of the rani what mm-hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. That, that's the point. Is, is, that, is, that, is, is that because you didn't get a word in edgewise? <laughs> oh, if I had to rank this, these podcasts in order of how much it annoyed me to edit because it was so long. <laughs> uh, well, to be fair, Mark of the Round, he still wouldn't be bottom because Power of the Doctor has taken me a week. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we did waffle on, didn't we? Mate, I know there was a time where we sort of, you know, both nipped off to sort some food out and whatever, but that file is over three and a half hours long. It's like... <laughs> But it's basically done. So uh, by the time this comes out, people would have heard it. So there we go. But yes, the mark of the Rani. Um, and again, it's from these onwards, it's not a case of I don't like them. I would happily go back and watch that again. I really would. I, I mean, I love Anthony Ainley as the master. Perry's a brilliant companion. Colin Baker here as the sixth doctor. You get some of the grouchiness and some of the nonsense from him, but it's not too much for me. Mm. He, he toes the line quite well. And then uh, Kate O'Mara as the Rani is just an absolute star. And I quite like the setting as well, being back in the, that's what was 1800s and being, you know, up north in the mining towns and all the, all that sort of stuff. And I think it's quite a clever premise, hmm. but it's just a case of the stuff above it. I would probably go back and watch before I pressed play on this one. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. Like you say, at this point it does become, a coin flip of what gets where. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I can understand that. Um, we will differ wildly on our placement of that serial. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's going to be interesting because there's a couple already that I'm looking at and thinking, why? Okay. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I was surprised at how surprised you were when I said that it was at number 10. Yeah, and, and with mine, there will be an element of... of Putting that up there, not only because of where I've put it, not because I think, as well as thinking it's a great episode, uh, it was also great fun to record because I got to yes. got to chat shit with yeah. with that with AB for some. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, I've not looked at it from that viewpoint. I've, I've not looked at it as I enjoyed well, it was, it, that it, it, it was a secondary. It, it was a secondary thing. Um, you know, so I was judging it on its own merits, and uh, but again, we'll get to that when uh, yeah. when we get to it. A big um, shout out to AB as well. Bloody loves you. Oh, recording with AB uh, this coming week for UTT at time of recording. Fantastic. Oh, it's going to be brilliant. We're covering uh, an episode of Glow as well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to hearing it. I look forward to hearing yeah, it. In about six months. But that's <laughs> when you finish recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Number nine. Um, again, this could have been a toss up. Um, it's the Sea Devils. Okay. Yeah, that that ends up in mid table. Um, again, I liked it well enough. It was great to see the Sea Devils um, as villains and sort of see the origin point. Um, it did get dropped down quite largely because one of the things that sticks out in my mind so much about it is the music. Yeah, that was jarring. Wasn't and it? and how bad it was. And I just think it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a detriment to it that the two things that spring to mind when I talk, when I think about this episode is the terrible music and the beach scene where they're trying to get through the minefield. Yes. Which while it was very good and very cool and very fun, it was also quite comical mm. and a bit ridiculous. But um, if I remember rightly, Joe was, was pretty fantastic in, uh, in this episode. Joe Grant was, 
she, you know, even though she was uh, sort of shit upon by some of, the, some of the characters in between, she was just quietly sort of the star, the, the star of the show, and uh, and the master was just the master. Yeah, <laughs> you know, real high, real high points of it, and again, these these next uh, one, two, three, four, my, my next my next four, this included. If you were going to say which ones you want to go back and watch, it could change hour to hour, never mind day to day. Um, but Sea Devils has to go somewhere, and it, it's ended up at nine. Okay, fair enough. Interesting. Uh, for me, at number nine is The Deadly Assassin, the Tom Baker story. Okay. And I feel very much the same about The Deadly Assassin as I did Mark of the Rani. There's not masses wrong with it. I mean, I don't, I'm not too fond of the Doctor without a companion. Mm. That bit was a bit of a stumbling block for me because we did get the nonsense that we covered in the show of uh, Tom Baker having to talk to himself to get points of you know, plot points across to the viewer, whereas normally it makes sense because he's talking to, you know, talking to his companion or whatever. Mm. So that didn't quite work for me. But I still enjoyed Tom Baker. I still enjoyed all the Time Lord stuff um, and the, you know the plot twists with the Master and all that, all that sort of stuff. Again, it's the same as the Mark of the Rani. It's it was good enough. There's nothing wrong with it. I just prefer other things on the list to it. Yeah, completely and the, understandable. And I love Tom Baker. So the fact that he is where he is kind of shows that the quality we've watched this this season is so high. I think. Yeah, um, and again, at some point in this list, Deadly Assassin was where the Sea Devils has ended up uh, for me. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll get to you know obviously I'll get to my opinions on it, but yeah, it's everything is just we. It's not we keep saying it's not that we dislike it. It's just it's the it's the least good of what's left. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, that, that's a really good way of putting. Well, yeah, great way of putting it because I from Christmas I, Carol, which was shit, which was pure shite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as we will keep saying until the end of time um, and whenever we cover the end of time that'll be uh, that'll be a good two-part to do uh, oh, Timothy Dalton as Rassilon yeah Timothy Dalton fantastic what a casting um, so my number eight that I'm now looking at and thinking I should have maybe dropped it down to nine because but that's because I've listened to your logic on it as well which you're not wrong when you say it uh, is end of the world right okay so not not too high for Mr. Eccleston this season, just below, just mid table. Um, I I really like Cassandra as a villain. She is really well performed by Zoe Wanamaker. She's smarmy. She's obnoxious. She's evil. You know, money driven. Her voice is perfect for this role, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely perfect, and. This was the first time we'd seen proper sci-fi, you know, from from Doctor Who on on, on the return. And you know, I remember watching. This is when nostalgia kicks in for me because I remember watching it at sixteen. It's the only Doctor Who I've I've seen outside of um, uh, outside of the movie and some you know the odd clip of the old stuff that was maybe popped up on some random show here and there. And just the sheer variety of, of aliens and monsters just blew me away at the time. Mm. And you get, you know, the peril of, um, you know, of the, of the, the sun protectors 
the solar protectors dropping and the race against yeah. time, I thought was brilliant. And going back on it nowadays and seeing the sort of, sort of social commentary of the way Rose treats the plumber and, and things like that, I, obviously I didn't appreciate that when I was 16. I was like, <laughs> aliens. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> hey, look, tree person's on fire. Um, <laughs> because that's how a 16-year-old boy's brain works. Um but even, you know, even then, the stuff with, with Jade and that being actually a really tragic death. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's ended up up there, and it's probably due to my familiarity and nostalgia for it. Because, as you said, it's not the strongest um, Christopher Eccleston um, episode, but I would probably go back and watch it over, over everything I've discussed so far. And a part of that does factor in that it's only... 45 minutes <laughs> well yeah there is that there is that i try and ignore that sort of, I, I try and think of the story rather than the time yeah to go back and watch stuff but that is quite difficult i think even though i try to go that way it is quite difficult i mean for example i look at the mark of the rani and think that was two 45 minute episodes mm. that's a lovely period that, that's a lovely time you know running of time to have a story in yeah you know but when you get into like the six parters or more it does become a bit more tricky. So I, I know where you're coming from. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the nostalgia factor as well of watching it back and so on. And that maybe played into where you've placed that. Because mm. obviously I, I don't get that because yeah, I, I watched the sort of trailer in the classic who my nostalgia factor with Eccleston was the very first episode mm. of the rerun as opposed to the second one. Because I've not got. I've watched. The, I've watched the, the the first episode. Rose, it was called, wasn't it? Which is where the Doctor meets Rose. And... Yeah, and it's the Autons and all that. And I fully fun, yes. mentioned that just to just to interject very quickly. I watched that first episode, and it did enough to get me to come back, mm. but I wasn't enamoured. Okay. Right away, I liked Eccleston. Yeah. Which is what brought me back because I'd seen him in other things before. I thought I'll give it another chance, but I wasn't over and out. But I had no context for the history of the Autons mm. either. So. so that was it. I mean, Autons was a bit before my time as, as with regards to watching on the telly. But I'd seen the videotapes and so on, and then it was that whole thing of there's the TARDIS, and you know, because it's literally just in the background in one scene. It's like, oh my god, there it is, and so that I get the nostalgia factor more with that one than literally the one that aired seven small days after, which is kind of weird, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it'd be interesting because I've, I've not, I know I have watched it in the past uh, and rewatched it, but I haven't watched it for a lot of years. So going back and whenever we do go back and watch um, Rose, it'd be very interesting to see how I view that now. So probably, you know, 10 years since I last watched it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, maybe that's something we'll have to try and uh, get in on a future series somewhere. Uh, my number eight no real nostalgia factor attached to it because it's very very recent and that would be spyfall okay i enjoy the first part is bloody fantastic i loved it really yeah. really good the second part i don't think is as good but i think that's a trait in two-parters in new who even even if the two-parters are fantastic it's always the first part i kind of enjoy a bit more I think back to the the gas mask kid and stuff like that. The first episode of that two parter is better than the second. So they shiver on my so back, on. you bastard. <laughs> and you can get your "Are You My Mummy" t shirt on the Doctor Who merch website. <laughs> you can't one. see this, but I'm flipping him off. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Spyfall. I, I enjoy Jodie Whittaker in this, and Bradley Walsh is always fantastic. 
and I love the James Bond hints and crossovers and, and sort of little nods to the spies in, in the in the James Bond series. But again, there's just stuff I would rather go back and watch than this. Mm. And I think that as good as a story this is, and as great as the first part especially is, it kind of falls into that trap with Whitaker of being <sighs> the good is very good. But the the issues that we've already discussed about Jodie Whittaker's time as the Doctor is what drags it down. Mm. The fact that sometimes Whittaker's Doctor is a little bit too light and breezy in the face of peril. And sometimes there's no subtlety to the writing when it comes to trying to put a message across. It can be you know, it's as subtle as a sledgehammer, I think, is a phrase that we used on the show. And I, I think those aspects come into this story, which kind of pulls it down a bit. But again, I really enjoyed it. And talking to Beth was fantastic as well. So yeah, yeah. That, that's my number eight, mate. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's my number seven. So we ain't talking about Spyfall yet. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised by Spl- uh, Splyfall. Spyfall. Splyfall. <laughs> Splyfall. Um, <laughs> because I remember enjoying it at the time. And yep. it just sort of being a bit of fun. A bit, you know, quite sort of lighthearted and because I think I think we said this this aired on consecutive days, didn't it? Um, when it was broadcast, I don't think we had to wait a week for it. Oh, wasn't it like New Year's? Didn't, yeah, that, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but anyway, um, so really, so I enjoyed it at the time, but I didn't think it would stand up to as much as it has, you know, in terms of what in terms of what we watched for the series. Going back and. Now, with the added bonus of seeing how some of the story plays out, I appreciate much more how good and how well uh, Jodie Whittaker and Sacha Dawan um, bounce off each other. And we said it on the recording, they bring the best out of each other's characters. Yes. Absolutely. I thought it was wonderful. They, they even made Ryan useful. Not this. very much, but... He did a bit... He did a bit. He did a bit. Okay. In terms, in terms of Ryan, in terms of Ryan, that was a good day's work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lenny Henry um, bringing him in, I thought he played his part very well. Yeah. Um, which was a surprise at the time because I've never seen Lenny Henry trying any um, any sort of more serious roles mm. in anything. And now and then he's gone on to do uh, Rings of Power for Amazon and, and something like that. So. It was a it was a good thing to see there. Stephen Fry was fun, you know, and amusing, and you got Bradley Walsh. So yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it, just all around. Like I said, there are bits and pieces to to nitpick, particularly with the wider issues that we've discussed with Jody before. Like you say, maybe just just not been given the opportunity. Yeah, to, she could have been fantastic. I think. I mean, she was good. Don't get me wrong. That the hindrances to Jodie Whittaker's doctor weren't necessarily down to her. Yeah. So when I'm talking about certain negatives of her time, I, I feel a bit bad afterwards because it almost sounds like I'm digging out Jodie Whittaker herself mm. as an actress. No, that's never, never what we intend. On no, that. I don't mean it that way at all. But it is something that I think we, whenever we speak about Whittaker, whenever we look at episodes that she stars in, these things do keep popping up. The same issues do keep arising. I think the ones that we've seen. I think Beth hit the nail on the head when she made her comments about how they were writing, not for the Doctor, but for a woman playing the Doctor. 
yes. how, the, how the natural biases sort of came into that. I mean, Beth phrased it better, far better than I ever could, so I encourage anybody to to seek out uh, that podcast and just you know to, because Beth put forth some really great points and like I said, verbalised far better than than two you know two bearded. Uh, bordering middle-aged men could ever put forward <laughs> on the subject, oh, so. look at you saying bordering middle-aged when referencing me I love that thank well, you every time I call, every time I call you what you are you throw a shit fit so. <laughs> brilliant I, I, I totally agree I mean all of our guests this season have been fantastic every single one of them have been awesome and I, I recommend anyone who's not checked out those episodes to go back and do it uh, at SJP World Media on your podcast players or at the Doctor Who pod as well. Go back and check them all out. Uh, I mean, all of our guests have been brilliant this season, Dan, aren't they? Yeah, I've just realised I've had two guest episodes back-to-back, Connor for the end of the world and uh, and Beth for Spyfall. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> so well done, guys. I'm making mid-table. <laughs> <laughs> you are the Liverpool of this current league table. Um... <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, where are we at? Number seven, isn't it? You figure it out. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> only because I know. Only cause at time recording, Liverpool are playing Man United this afternoon, and I can't see anything other than a Liverpool drubbing. So we're getting the recording in before uh, before the game. Oh, I, I don't know. Mate. I don't know. We looked very leggy in the last two games. Very tired, but that's a, that's a different story. Different discussion for a different podcast. Yeah. Number seven for me is the Peter Davison story, Earthshock. Ooh, okay. Uh, I love the Cybermen. I love the background stories to this of them trying to keep the Cybermen's return um, a secret from the media. And for some reason, specifically the Radio Times, everyone on, <laughs> everyone spoke about the Radio Times in the 80s must have been bastards. They were like the Dave Meltzer of UK TV reporting. Because <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone involved in Doctor Who was trying to keep it a secret specifically from them. Uh, um, Adric dying is always a plus point to me. Because... It, <laughs> But the way they tried to hide the fact that he had left the series with the following story is lovely as well. Um, I love Tegan and Nyssa. I think they're brilliant companions. And I think the whole story with the way that they talk about how the uh, you know that there was um, something that wiped out the dinosaurs mm. X million number of years ago. And the whole story comes back on itself and it turns out that Adric has to die to make sure that happens in a way. It's, I think it's just very, very clever at storytelling. But again, it falls short. Despite the fact I love Peter Davison as a doctor, it falls short purely because we've seen so much brilliant, so many great stories on, on this season, Dan. Yeah, I'm surprised it's it's gone that low for you, really. Um, with it being Peter Davison, I, th- I thought um, that might pump it a little bit higher. But as you say, these certain of these episodes you can just chop and change. Um, I've ranked Earthshock um, higher than you have. Let's just say. Um, so I'll get onto my full thoughts uh, in a in a little bit. But yeah, I can't argue with any of that. Um, I think one thing I will say that the the foreshadowing is there. Um, yes. It's maybe a touch on the nose. Okay. He's thinking, why are they talking about dinosaurs? That what you know, so <laughs> some of, that's obviously leading to something. Yeah. Um, but it, that it it'd be a really nitpicky thing to to mm. sort of hold up. But yeah, completely understand that. Um, going on to number six, I've put the deadly assassin. Okay, interesting. Number six. Um, Gets up there again. Could have been interchangeable with six, you know six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, it does get extra points for Tom Baker. 
because yep. I really like him. But I really, <laughs> I, just, I really like. And to be honest, with the ridiculousness of the crusty master, um, I, thought, I thought that was equal parts brilliant and hysterical. Crusty master. Uh, so the ridiculousness of the crusty master. It's it is equal parts brilliant and ridiculous, but also it's creepy. Mm-hmm. Even with his yogurt pot eyes. Mm. It's creepy. <laughs> well, they are, but that's what they look like. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the sort of the idea of, of going into the matrix as well, and not not the matrix is in the film, but you know, into this matrix of, of consciousnesses to fight the master and, and fight the uh, fight the guy who's looking to be president, and the whole who oh. and the whole who done it aspect of. Of who assassinated the president and the, the shrinking, you know, the mass, uh, you know, the shrinking thing and, and the uh, tissue compression. That's it. That comes back in uh, with uh, with Sasha Dowan's master. Um, so yeah, it goes. Exterminate! Exterminate! You'll hear what just happened on the outtakes. We kind of lost our train of thought there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the who done it and the tissue compression and all of that. But I was about, actually about to ask you, so you seem to have like a bit of an epiphany there, as if you'd forgotten bits and pieces. I'd forgotten that whole fight scene episode, even though it lasted like the whole twenty an, an episode. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was brilliantly weird, wasn't it? It yeah. was just absolute nonsense, but fantastic at the same time. Tom Baker doing his uh, Bear Grylls impression. Yeah, I completely forgot all of that had happened. And the drowning of the man and the explosions that got the uh, got Mary Whitehouse all, mm. you know, got knickers all bunched up. Yeah, that was a bit. To be fair, it was for for Saturday, you know, early evening mm. tea time on telly. That's quite graphic. graphic. Yeah. yeah, and it but it even had a good twist at the end with um, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who was supposed to be president. It turns out he's in league with the master. Yes. But then there's a twist within the twist because the master's trying to get the uh, the, the 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 robe and, and the the scepter, whatever it is, mm. to extend his own life and bring about the destruction of Gallifrey, and then they, just, they leave it on a great cliffhanger of him falling into whatever pit it was. Mm. But you see his hand. Yeah, like Ming the Merciless picking up the ring at the end of the Flash Gordon film. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah, I should have put, put that higher, shouldn't I? What a knobhead. Well, I'm looking at it now and thinking I should have maybe put it even higher, putting it even higher than I have. It could have gone up to four or fourth or third. <laughs> should we just go away for ten minutes, come back and start all over again? No, no. <laughs> We're committed. We're committed. Okay. Uh, my number six. It is number six. We're on, isn't it? Yes. Yes. My number six is the Sea Devils. I loved this because it's pr- to me this is what early 70s doctor who should be the monsters are a bit wobbly and a bit you know but you imagine them in the 70s being scary and fantastic pertwee is awesome you get the whole thing with unit it i loved this whole story it's proper classic who this to me is what if i say if i if somebody says to me classic who this is what i think of mm. yeah that's fair enough I can, I can completely see how and like i say I'm looking at it now and thinking that Sea Devil should have gone above end of the world, but then would it go over Spyfall and Deadly Assassin? And and it's it's just so difficult to place. But mm. yeah, I get it. it. It could have gone high for me as well. It really could. Okay, so we're getting into our top fives. So this is where I think it's going to get very interesting because we've both got a couple of selections that the other has already put forward. Mm. And for me, this. I would say four out of my top five could have all been top. 
every single one of these could have been top for me. Mm. Okay. And at some point have been. And the only reason my number five has been demoted down to five is I didn't want recency bias to come into it. Okay. So number five is the power of the doctor. And me. Hey, our second uh, one that's our second one getting from 14 to five that we've got the same. Um, and I think it's evident to anyone, anyone listening, given that we did two shows about it, a special and a regular season episode. Listen to those. You know how much we love this. Yes. But with it being so recent and with what I love about it being that a lot of it is fan service. It's very good fan service. Mm-hmm. I just can't in good conscience put it any higher than fifth because mm. we're yet to see how it looks. We're not even, you know, we're not even six months removed from it. Yeah, that's right. So it's incredible. I love it, but I can't put it any higher. See, for me, it's, I'm going to be quite contradictory to myself now. Never you. Yeah. I, I'm going to confuse <laughs> myself with what I say to myself. And then, <laughs> The uh, the nostalgia factor in this is fantastic for me. You're with McCoy, Ace, uh, and and Peter Davidson and Tegan, and all that is absolutely brilliant. Um, the master is fantastic in this, wearing all the old Doctor's clothes and all that sort of stuff, and the dancing to Rasputin and all that oh. is so good. But again, it just comes back to a couple of things with with Jodie Whittaker's time, and I suppose New Who in general as well, it feels like the end of a season or one of the specials where a doctor may regenerate, they have to literally throw everything at it. It has to be so big and huge. And you've got the Cybermen, the Master, the Daleks, and and in previous stories, you've had all that before. And it's kind of like, it's like, when, as we've said on the podcast numerous times, Dan, you and I are both huge wrestling fans. And it's kind of that thing of somebody jumps off a 10-foot ladder, the next guy's going to jump off a 15-foot ladder, the next guy's going to jump off a 20-foot ladder. Mm. Eventually it has to stop because you can't go any bigger. Then Shane, get, Shane McMahon jumps off the side of the Titan Tron. Exactly. And nobody can go higher. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I kind of feel with the power of the Doctor. It's kind of like have they basically went higher or as high as they can previously. And I've just thrown everything they can at this to make it that way. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but I also think if you take away the the the, the, the doctor being in this uh, sort of wasteland regeneration place where they cross over and so on, that was in the story, and I loved it because you saw the old doctors and you know uh, all of these guys turning back up. Loved it, absolutely fantastic. But that wasn't a huge necessity to the story. It wasn't, but, and this is something that I've just thought of, bringing the, the Daleks into the fold with the Cybermasters and the Cybermen, that's actually progression of Sasha Darwin's plan because he'd already sorted the Cybermasters mm. in the previous series. Not, not Flux, the series before that, because Flux kind of sits on its own in the middle. Flux was the giant earth-shattering catastrophe, mm. you know, reality-shattering catastrophe, universe-level threat. Power of the Doctor is a culmination 
of Sasha Dowan's plan, latest plan, uh, the Master's latest plan, to overthrow the Doctor. And it's, it's, it's progressed to a point that the Master hates the Doctor so much that the Master wants to become the Doctor. Uh, and it, so bringing them together, it, because it's a progression of things, I don't see it as, as an escalation. I see it more of a as more of a culmination. Yeah, no, okay. I mean, I it's, meant more across New Who altogether. Like every ah, end, right, every end of Sorry, season yeah. thing is as big as they can make it, as big as they can make it, as big as they can make it. And it gets to a point where I kind of feel, I mean, the flux was huge. There was so much going on. I, I suppose it's that scenario of sometimes you need the quiet to make the loud seem noisy. Mm. You know, sometimes you need the calm before the storm. And yeah. yes, there was a big gap with regards to the airtime of these stories. But you look at how huge Flux was. So mm. much going on. So many different stories all at the same time. And we had an episode where there was Weeping Angels. There was so much going on. Crazy stuff. The, the reveal of this person maybe being the Doctor's mum, I think, happened at one point. So much happening. And then it's almost like that, that to me should have been the end there. But they mm. had to do these other specials. And it's a case of how they couldn't reach the size of what they had with flux in this. And that's what I mean about reaching the point where yeah. they've gone as high as they can. And it almost, I, I suppose, I mean, I said it when we recorded our second review of it, the story itself, I think it falls down with the usual Whitaker problems. I think the story itself is, it's a good story. Mm. But if you take away what I loved about the episode, which is all the nostalgia, the the fan service, I think you called it, with the old doctors and so on, they yeah. didn't. They weren't. They weren't vital to the story. I mean, they played their part. Don't get me wrong. But if they weren't there, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. It didn't. Wouldn't have massively um, affected the story. But the fact that they were the highlights for me kind of makes me think on the other side of it: is this story as good as some people think? I mean, I think it's bloody good, but it's not the best ever you know yeah i think it, it's a funny one and it? it can it can be sort of argued so many different ways um because you know I, i'd take i'd argue that tegan and ace being part of unit and whatnot makes absolutely perfect sense yeah, and, yeah, the way, yeah, and, yeah. and the way that they sort of worked it into to, to have them there and, and fulfill their roles if you like it wouldn't have been the same if it was just two randomers that the Doctor mm. met at the start of the episode. You know, mm. Kate, Stewart, Kate Stewart says, I've got these two people. You, you do this, you do that, an explosives expert and uh, another. It wouldn't have been the same. It would have, been, it would have actively been worse. Mm. Um, so, but anyway, it, 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 we've, put it in, we've put it in the same place and we've managed to, managed to you know, put it in fifth out of 14 and we're still... <laughs> Still, sort of picking holes in the stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, 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 it's fifth on my list, and it's kind of it, it, it's it's there above Doctor Who stories. I love, I love the Sea Devils. I love Earthshock. You know, Spyfall was brilliant. I enjoyed Mark of the Rani. It's above all of those, so mm. it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm slagging it off or anything like that. Yeah, oh, no, just, I get that completely. I'm just saying that the first time we watched it and we recorded straight after it aired. Mm. I was there thinking this is one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. The second time we watched it, 
maybe not as fueled on booze and emotion aside, mm. I thought, okay, maybe it wasn't as great as I first thought, but it is still bloody good. It's kind of what I'm getting yeah. at. It's all relative, isn't it? Because you take something that you thought was one of the best things ever, and it's not as good as you thought it was, that still leaves it being pretty fucking good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like but, I said, mate, number five in the list. I can't, you know. Yeah, okay. It's, it's high praise. And I think we need to move on before we start going around in circles again. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Number um, four. Number four for me. I did, I did put it higher, but there was one deciding factor that dropped it down, and you'll know what the factor is. Number four for me is Earthshock. Okay. Is I'm that really, factor a certain young man of a silly star? It begins with an A and rhymes with dick. Because <laughs> <laughs> Adric's a little dickhead. Oh, um, it's horrible. But it was a lot of fun. It was a really fun, crafted story. That, you know, the, I said the foreshadowing was a bit on the nose, but that's a, that's a nitpick, to be quite frank. Um I thought it was bloody fantastic. Um, they did manage to cram a lot of dickheads into one episode, uh, into yes. one serial, sorry, um, which was actually quite impressive. Um, and I was a little bit annoyed that the captain survived. I think she survived, didn't she? Oh, street fucker, I'm playing. Oh, yeah, she got rescued. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, again, Peter Davison is fast becoming um, sort of a favourite of mine the more I watch. I really like him as the doctor. Uh, Nissa and, uh, and Tegan were, were great. It was nice to see Tegan in a in a punk. I think this is the first time I've seen Tegan. Um, the five. Oh no, there was another one. In. Yeah, sorry, it was outside yeah. the five doctors. Um, she described herself as a gob on legs. Yeah, <laughs> and stuff like that. And, but she'll back it up. That's the thing, you know. It, um, yeah, and, and even even the end, you know, as much as I didn't like Adric, it was quite a sad end. Yeah, definitely. And, and really impactful. Yeah, and a big literally. <laughs> <laughs> it wiped out a whole race for quite a late. Well, because he had to go prove he was smart. Uh, no bed. Uh, um, that's, uh, we should be laughing. A child died. <laughs> but he was a wanker. He was a little twat. It was 65 million years ago. Yeah, fucking. Uh, but yeah, Earthshot, Earthshot for me. I, I enjoyed it. I would happily go back and watch it again, even though Adric's a turd. But, you know, we get to see, we get to see him pancaked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough mate fair enough uh number four for me is curse of fenric and okay. it, it's obvious why this ranks so high for me it's pure nostalgia i remember when this aired i remember watching this in my house terrified i got nightmares from those vampire girls and watching it back now what are we on 35 or whatever it is years later Yes, it's it's aged. Of course, it has. It's television from the late eighties, but I suppose I suppose some stories with Sylvester McCoy in, I go back and watch, and I'm really really optimistic, and you know, I'm I'm almost like getting all silly and childlike when it comes to pressing play on BritBox or the DVDs, thinking this was great. I loved this when I was a kid, and then it lets me down because it's nowhere near mm. as good as I remember. When I was when I was younger, the nostalgia factor works in a, in a negative way there. But when we rewatched this, yes, there is flaws of it because of when it was filmed and the budget restraints and all that sort of stuff. But I thought Ace was brilliant. I thought the Doctor was fantastic. Yes. The bad guys were just creepy as shit. I mean, the bit with Ace trying to seduce the soldier and say she's got windy drawers or something that was a, that was a bit of a miss. <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> oh god yeah the, the, the flirting scene yeah that was a bit cringe but 
just the whole vampire thing and, and oh i loved it mate i thought it was creepy i thought it was really atmospheric and yeah i, I just loved this story yeah fair enough um yeah it, again i'm looking at it thinking i could have gone higher with it I, I, it wouldn't have made four no no the highest it could have ever gone i think is probably seven or eight okay but yeah, I can see why. Then you know, Sylvester McCoy is is your guy, isn't he? He's your doctor. He was, yeah. Well, yeah. So I do get it. I do get it. Um, this next one is probably the biggest. Uh, I think the biggest divide that we're going to have this season. It's Mark of the Rani for, at three for me. Why that is high, isn't it? And it's funny because. I don't think either of us, up until this moment, have had any Colin Baker story in the top half of our countdowns. No, I don't think so. Um, which is weird because as much as I liked, I think it was um, Varos. I, I yes. really liked Varos. Yeah. But we again, we had so much that was better mm-hmm. on there. But I'm upfront bias right now. It's set in the north of England. <laughs> That's a bit of a, that's a bit of a fact. In fact, it's for, it's even further north than where I'm from, so there is a bit of. A, I, thought a bit of that. Just, I thought we got to where you lived, and then it was just water. No, <laughs> the, the, the Scots will take umbrage with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> to them, to them, I'm a Midlander at best. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I really enjoyed Mark. The, the Rani herself was incredible. Mm. Uh, I thought she was brilliant. Colin Baker's Doctor, as you said, was had some of the grumpiness and the more dickheadish aspect of his character toned down. Um, and, and the brush with history with all these great minds, you know, Robert yeah. Louis Stevenson and, and, and sort of the childlike glee that the doctor had of meeting this, this famous engineer, I thought was brilliant. And, you know, you get to see the master, Anthony Ainley's fantastic, you know, the, the hypnotic nature of the master mm. and how, you know, the experiments of the Rani, we get to see the different TARDIS. You know, we yeah, see the Rani's cool. TARDIS. The weird um, uh, dinosaur babies in it and stuff. <laughs> the, oh, that ending, don't get me wrong, is ridiculous, but it's my kind of ridiculous when they're getting sent off into the far edge of of the universe and time, but the time effect, the, the time warping is making the dinosaurs grow. <laughs> so yes. we, we think the, the Master and the Rani are going to get eaten alive. Um, I would happily have had a side series that was almost like a sitcom of the Rani and the Master trying to get back to their time, but not being able to pilot the TARDIS and then just bickering and arguing. Can you imagine and, and that? Fighting, fighting, fighting a dinosaur. The laughter track getting played in every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> As they're just threatening to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then we've said before about all the guests this season, the chat with AB for this was great. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kind of, it's uh, this is uh, is kind of proving uh, proving AB's agenda because um, AB said that Colin Baker wasn't that bad, and, and here I am for the second season in a row, enjoying the uh, enjoying the episode and re-ranking this very highly. Um, as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. No, there we go, there we go. It's uh, like like I said, I enjoyed it, but it was just one of those things where there was more that I'd go back to first. Yeah, fair enough. So, 
Yeah. Uh, my number three then is Girl in the Fireplace. Okay. Um, it's a weird one for me because I I watched this first time round and I enjoyed it. And you obviously get the really emotional scenes at the end with the letter and the fact that you know she's died and so on. Mm. But it never entered my mind to go back and watch it again. I think okay. I said on a, I think I said in our recording that it kind of it kind of was it was a bit too much of a, a romance story for me, mm. a bit a bit too you know soppy you know feely kind of stuff. Uh, that's what my memory told me it was, and that's why I would have not have gone back and watched it. Mm. Then I watched it twice in quick succession because I watched it with our uh, with our watch back with Charlie and then for the show. And I was like, you're an idiot. This is so much better than than your mind is telling you. Yeah. There's so much more to this. There's some fantastic performances. There's a creepy villain. that The, the clockwork per people are just fantastic. The doctor pretending to be drunk, coming in, pouring wine on people. <laughs> just absolutely superb. Um, the interactions between the doctor, Rose, and Mickey, I think, kind of go under the radar a bit in this story because there is so much going on with regards to, you know, Madame de Pompa Dumba Dumba Dumba, whatever he called her, and uh, <laughs> Madame de Pompa Dumba. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and th- those interactions. But Mickey, this is like his first time on the TARDIS, and their interactions there are just—it's it, comedy, but it's not so over the top comedy. It's it's enough to make you laugh and not take away from the story. And it it's just—I just loved everything about it. It was so good. And I was talking to Charlie last night when she looked over the shoulder at my list. And she said about Girl in the Fireplace. And I said, I loved it that much. I quite often think that, or I don't even think, sometimes me and, Char- me and Sharon will talk about it. Sometimes it's a conversation on Twitter. If you were to show someone who's not a Doctor Who fan an episode of New Who, or somebody who loved classic Who, but fell out of love for the programme, if you were to pick an episode to show them, to try and hook them back in, I think Girl in the Fireplace would be very, very high. And I think of my mum with this. My mum watched a Christmas special when it was filmed in Gloucester, and she only watched it because it was filmed in Gloucester. <laughs> and I want to say to her, go and watch this, because I know this would be right up her street. She would love it. Yeah. So I think that that's quite a you know high praise for that story. It really is. Um, Girl in the Fireplace uh, is in my top two, so I will say that, because I don't know quite know how we're going to do this top two, because... Looking at what's left, I think there's now only one that we could possibly agree on. Yes. And that's the Peter Capaldi two-parter, the the Zygon Invasion and Zygon Inversion. So, do we give our... (laughs) Do we go for a number two at the same time? <laughs> um, yeah, Candy. Candy. So, so what is at, your at number two? two? <laughs> um, I shouldn't do that. I've got a shoot. I've got a shoot off uh, in about in about fifteen minutes. Um, so my second one is the Zygon invasion. Zygon inversion. Ah, okay, interesting. So I can't remember what we've got left, but from that reaction, I'm guessing that Zygon Invasion and Zygon Inversion isn't number two for you. It is not. Zygon Invasion Inversion is my number one. Number two for me is the only other option, and that is the War Games. Yeah, so 
I'll quickly just Saigon Invasion Inversion is it's one of it's one of the underrated Capaldi two parters, and there are a few of them now. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of looking back, and I'll be honest. Initially, I was thinking, can I rank it that high? Because all I think about is that speech at right. the end, um, where he's talking about the futility of war and, and how they should, you know, how to get around it and just cut the shit and just get around the table and talk. Um, and that is such an impassioned, powerful speech by Capaldi. It's up there with the all timers for me. I think it's absolutely incredible, and it's it's so emotional and so well delivered, uh, and despite some elements of the American accent, but you kind of need the levity, so you know. Right. Um, but then I thought about the rest of it, you know, the, the bringing the Zygons in, after, you know, after we'd already seen them in the uh, in the the fiftieth anniversary, uh, you know, they're back and, and the continuity of that and what it means for going forward and expanding on the universe and and how everything's been kept in place Osgood has become a, a, a vital character yes. and I think that's brilliant Kate Stewart's had a hell of a time trying to keep everything under control the, the idea of a wider society of Zygons living on Earth is just such a great concept and so sort of well explored because we have this commentary of, of you have these this radical element to the Zygons who want this revolution and the first guy they sort of zap and, and force to transform just wants to live Mm-hmm. And then yeah. things like that, and, and there are holes to poke in it, like with the um, you know why did the soldier just drop his gun when he knew it was a Zygon? You know when it was pretending to be his mum. Mm. That's you know I get it'd be hard to do to shoot something that looks like your mum in the face, but also come on, have a brain in your head. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think as well, why didn't one of the other soldiers just shoot him? Yeah, all oh, that, yeah. Can't, can't do that it looks like my mum Terry one between the eyes please um, so yeah for, yeah for all those reasons Zygon Invasion Inversion uh, gets uh, gets the number two slot it is fantastic it's my number one um, I'll, I'll talk about that now before I get to War Games and then if you want to jump in on Girl in the Fireplace is your first yep. choice after that uh, so I got Invasion Inversion as my number one choice agree with everything you just said absolutely fantastic that speech is incredible it's so clever the way that the you know there's the two boxes and the two buttons inside the boxes and and i also like the way that it keeps you guessing and i've had the pleasure of watching it back with charlie for our watch along and so on and seeing her reactions to for want of a better phrase the swerves Mm. the the police officer actually being a zygon and then you think Kate is a Zygon, and then she's not a Zygon, and just all that—it's just so clever. And also, a big, big selling point for me—you get three Claras. You get pajama, <laughs> you get evil Clara, you get normal Clara, and you get pajama Clara. Big fan of pajama Clara, so you know that's why it goes so high for me. I just, know that that's, in, I just know that's in your search history. <laughs> pajama Clara. <laughs> pajama Clara. Pajama Clara. Pajama Clara. <laughs> Uh, um, the war games yes it's long yes there's a lot of running about and getting captured and escaping but I love it I absolutely love the story I love the different sets of soldiers and it's one of those that the the, the, the black and white stories a lot of the classic well I say black and white Perry comes into this as well I suppose there's a lot of these longer stories 
and some of them are a slog to get through. And the war games, yes, it's very long. It can be a slog time-wise, don't get me wrong. But I didn't mind the fact it was as long as it was. Mm. Yeah, you could have shaved an episode or two off and not lost too much of the story. But I enjoyed everything about it. And the just the fact that we, we start hearing about the Time Lords and... The fact that the doctor is terrified of them coming, but he's got to do it to get people home. And I just love the whole story itself. It's brilliant. I would happily go back and watch that again this afternoon. It's it's right up there. It's one of the, my favourite stories of all time. Yeah, I, I completely get that. And I was wrong, actually. Uh, Mark the Rani isn't the biggest gap. Um, uh, the, the Our gap between war games and uh, between war games from my 10th and your 2nd. Um, okay, interesting. It's the biggest gap because uh, Mark of the Rani, if I'm reading this right, it was your 10th and my 3rd. Uh-huh. Right. So seven places in there and eight. Um, completely get everything you said. I would happily go back and watch the first two episodes of War Games again and then probably the last two. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe cut out the middle, uh, the, the middle six. Fair enough. But, yeah. Um, I, I can't fault your logic. Um your number one choice then, Dan. Talk us through Girl it's, in the Fireplace. It's the Girl in the Fireplace, yeah. And uh, I struggled with this one because I didn't want it to look like I was sort of putting myself over or, you know, biased because I, I think I picked this one. Yes, you did, Yes, And I picked it because it is one of my favourite episodes of all time and I, I knew that going in and I wanted to see your opinion. I'm glad you rated it so highly. Um Girl in the Fireplace, yes, there's the, the romance element and stuff like that, but it, it perfectly balances romance, action, and a bit of silliness. Yeah. Um, but none of it overshadows the other. And I think Sophia Miles as Madame Pompidou, uh, you've got me doing it now, Madame de Pompidou, <laughs> um, puts in a superb performance. David Tennant is fantastic as always. Um, I, I can't remember his name, but the guy who plays the king oh, yeah. in that scene at the end almost steals the scene with, with barely saying a word. Mm. But then you've got the daftness of Mickey. He's got the giant fire extinguisher gun he's dicking about. He's doing the commando rolls. And then he sees in the eye in the camera, he's like, you look at me. And it comes down to me and he just lets out this little yelp. As you, you know, <laughs> It's just a, it's a, real, it's a real funny, like, relatable moment. And then, you know, they've got made friends with a horse. Um, oh, the horse is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's... It's it's wonderfully daft and also incredibly powerful when uh, Madame de Pompadour is is so intelligent she works out she can read the Doctor's mind and sees into his his soul essentially and and the loneliness of the Time Lord and he now knows that she fully understands and wants to bring her along but this this sort of loose connection between the time zones and he just misses her and the heartbreak there and then when he's reading the letter at the end it's so, it's, it, it, it's so good and so and so heartbreaking. And I said at the time, we've uh, the vast majority of us in our life, or our lives, have done that. You are when someone says you are right, and he's like, yeah, I'm always all right. Uh-huh. And you know he's falling apart. Yeah, it's just brilliant. It really is. It's, it is. It's absolutely fantastic. And again, it comes down to those emotional scenes and so on. I would have enjoyed. I would have enjoyed them at the time. But that's kind of what overran the rest of it in my head when I was looking back. I was kind of thinking it is all lovey-dovey romance. And 
I think that's what put me off. When I watched it back with yourself and with Charlie, I realised it's not that. It is exactly as you say. There's comedy, there's action, there's there's a little bit of horror in there as well with them mm-hmm. monsters turning up under the bed yeah. and, and the ticking clock was a really clever little you know device used. And yeah, it is fantastic. It could have quite easily have finished top of mine. Uh, the War Games could have finished top. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, the, those top three I've got are interchangeable really. But I think, you know, I'm quite happy with the order I've got. Yeah, so am I. I'm happy with mine. It's it's is interesting that we've only had two two the same this season, mm. and again, it just speaks to the quality of, the, of what we watched. Exactly. It's, it's been it's been so much fun, and I, it, it's it's funny as well to see in my rankings we've got um uh, we've hang on, what was I going to sorry I've lost completely lost my train of thought. Um, it was just sort of the dispersal of the guest episodes. You know, I've got two guest episodes in my top three, and then uh, we've got two. Uh, sort of around about uh, you know, two mid-table next to each other, Spy Fall and End of the World. Mm. Um, but again, they could have been higher, they could have been lower. It's been a wonderful sort of conundrum and puzzle to figure out where to put everything. It has indeed. It has indeed. And I'm sure our listeners will agree. And a few of them did send in their choices on Twitter and so on. So I'll run through them quickly now, Dan, see what people are telling us. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, first of all, WhatsApped me her list at 20 to 11 last night when she should have been in bed, the little git. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> she obviously only watched the new Who stuff and hasn't gone as far as Whitaker yet. Her list is Christmas Carol, Bottom, then Vampires of Venice. So she's got some common sense there. Yep. Then end of the world, and then her top two is the same as your top two, Dan. Zygon two-parter and girl in the fireplace. Smart kid, like I said, takes after her mother. She does, she does. Um, <laughs> a couple from Twitter that we have here. First of all, our good buddy Rob, at UTT Rob on Twitter. He says his bottom three, and this is going to be a bit of a surprise, his bottom three, Curse of Fenric, mm, which I yeah, ranked I very highly. I didn't think it deserved to be bottom. No. Uh, the war games and he's put in the brackets it's just so long yeah, yeah. Fair enough. i can appreciate yeah. that i can you know also i ranked it at number two but i can appreciate where he's coming from and in his bottom three is also girl in the fireplace done yeah um we're gonna have words <laughs> uh our friend rob's top three he has Earthshock, mark of the rani and power of the doctor yeah i can see that as well it's that that's a solid top three there mm. We have at Doctor Who Station tweeted the show, and they've given us a big list here. And I'll run through them very quickly. And it's it's very different to what we've got, which I love because it shows that you know everyone's opinions are different. It's not a case of everyone loves the same thing. That's what makes Doctor Who so fantastic. Yeah. Uh, starting with their fourteenth choice and working down to number one, their number fourteen is actually my number one and your number two, the Zygon invasion. Crackers. <laughs> uh, a Christmas Carol, the edge of destruction, yep. earth shock, the end of the world, girl in the fireplace, Ooh. sea devils, vampires of Venice, Mark of the Rani, deadly assassin, Spyfall, the power of the doctor, war games, and their top choice is Curse of Fenric. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny because on some you look at it and you go, I can 100% agree with that. And on others, you're like, I don't get that at all. But again, that's, they'll be thinking the same about how we've ranked it. And that's the beauty of the show, I think. It's, it's about the same character 
doing effectively the same thing, traveling through space and time. But there's so much variety in the stories as well, Dan. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you are everybody's going to have their own opinions, uh, but you are objectively wrong on Vampires of Venice. <laughs> <laughs> with, all the, with all the love in the world, you are objectively wrong. Fair enough. <laughs> and finally, closing up our Twitter entries to the show, we have our good friend AB at official AB underscore POS. And they say, um, I don't know if I have a bottom three, as I tend to like every episode, but top three, uh, Mark Alarani, and they comment, Sai, I'm still sorry I made it such a long episode. Don't worry about it. I had a fantastic <laughs> time. Don't worry. And uh, number two, Deadly Assassin, um, the TARDIS only episode which I think may be getting a bit confused with Edge of Destruction there. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. And then number one, War Games. And they say they've always had a soft spot for this one. So yeah, again, it's interesting seeing other people's opinions and takes on the uh, on the stories we've covered, Dan. And no Mark of the Rani in AB's top three. Yes, Mark of the Rani was there. Apologize. Oh, yeah, apologize for making it such a long recording. Oh, sorry. I'm, sorry, I'm getting distracted. I've got, I've, got a few bits, I've got a few bits to do after this, and I'm, uh, yeah. But there we go. There we go. That is, I suppose, the end of our third season, the end of the, the third season of The Doctor Who Pod. We've had our 14 stories, our countdown episode, and, and so on. We will be back in, uh, I don't know exactly when, but we will be back in a few weeks' time with, I suppose, another draft episode, Dan, or how we're going to pick what we're doing next season. Yeah, I've got, I've got a plan on how to do that. I just need to figure out a couple of bits that I want to do that may be beyond my technical capabilities. But we'll be bringing it to you in uh, in some way, shape or form. Uh, all I'll say is I've let, I've, uh, bought a, uh, I've bought some TARDIS blue dice. So nice. will be, uh, there will be a random element into it again. Um, and between seasons, because it may well end up being a bit of a longer break than usual, um, I am going to at least bring the, the first part of my uh, experience of playing Doctor Who to the edge of reality. Um, it's, nice. I've mentioned it months ago, but I've got all my notes from part, uh, from playing up to a certain point. So we'll at least I'll at least be doing a part one. May even get a part two if I can get back into the game, but I'll be sprinkling those sort of rounding about the uh, the Doctor Who pod feed as we go along. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Um, I suppose very quickly we'll run for our socials. Uh, Dan, whereabouts can they find you and all your great content online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to hear more of me, I am on Unbooking the Territory, which I co-host with UTT Rob, although since he put uh, since he put Girl in the Fireplace in his bottom three, that might not be that much longer. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. That can be anything from first episodes of certain shows, like we've done the first episode of ECW broadcast, uh, or it can be anything as ridiculous as Goldberg and Kevin Nash appearing on an episode of Love Boat, The Next Wave. Um, so come along and have a listen there. We do have a side project called Unbooking the Tankatory, which charts the lives and times, the trials and tribulations of the in-ring career of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott. And we have another little side project coming up. It's going to be more of a bite-sized project. Uh, podcast uh, you may have well seen it knocking around uh, knocking around twitter at utt putting where rob is subjecting me to the being the elite gator golf tournament um okay. so i've never watched it i don't know what's going on so 
we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic stuff. Uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show at SJP World Media on Twitter, Facebook, um, Spotify, Google, all your podcast players, providers, and platforms. And of course, this show itself, you can find at the Doctor Who Pod on Facebook and Twitter. That's at the Doctor Who Pod, at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who has listened to us for the first three seasons of the show. Everybody who has retweeted, everyone who's interacted with us. I've had an absolutely fantastic time on Twitter talking to you all. I've had a fantastic time on Twitter talking Doctor Who with you all. And also, Dan, I want to say a huge thank you to you. You've done so much for this series of Doctor Who. You, you know, you've you, you've very much almost grabbed the reins of the show and ran with it where I've been incredibly busy and you're incredibly high, more intelligent than I and you've you t- took on the running order what we're doing you tell me what order to record and edit stuff in and it's just always an absolute blast sitting down and t- whether it's a good story a bad story old new whatever I absolutely love doing this show with you my friend I hugely appreciate it and I can't wait for for season four I'll give over you, so I'm pretty sad. Um, it's, yeah, it's been a blast, mate. Thanks for thanks for putting up with my bullshit uh, for for another season. And there's not really much I can add to that to what you just said. So bring on season four. There we go. We will see you all. Well, you'll hear from us, I suppose, in a few weeks' time. Dan, it's been awesome. Catch you next time, dude. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening, Captain Flatulence. <laughs>
wouldn't want to interrupt you sucking. No, definitely not. <laughs> How inconsiderate of you. <laughs> oh, God, oh, this is going so well. <laughs> made you clenching in Lieutenant suck a lot over there. <laughs> Oh. I'm still general flatulence. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh god, I was talking about a war with that department. Would you fucking hell? <laughs> Biological warfare is worse than mustard gas after ten pints in a curry. <laughs> what were I, we saying? I don't know something about a deadly assassin. Um, I think you were having. Um, <laughs> just, you know, I'm just gonna. You, you'll hear what just happened on the outtakes. We kind of lost our train of thought there. Um, I was talking you were about talking about and, you were talking about the episode where uh, he fights the guy and how it's a bit of a who done it. Yeah, the who done it and the tissue compression and all of that. But 